0: What's up, family? You are tuned into Law & Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. Over the past week, dozens of people seeking asylum who reached the U.S. in the southern area of Texas were flown to Sacramento in what critics, including Gavin Newsom, have called a political stunt led by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. As the latter tries to build energy into his Republican presidential campaign, Florida's Division of Emergency Management has claimed responsibility of asylum seekers. It's an interesting role to play, given that these people were in Texas with no apparent connection to Florida. In response, Newsom has thrown himself into the political posturing, threatening through Twitter kidnapping charges on behalf of the recently arrived asylum seekers. But what really happens for these recent arrivals in particular and asylum seekers in general in California. Joining me to discuss is Sarah Dahr, Director of Health and Public Benefits Policy for the California Immigrant Policy Center. Sarah, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Jesse.
0: Our pleasure. So let's start off with this situation in particular. Is there any part of this new side of this story that I left out that you feel important to add and share? And do we know where these people are at now? What kinds of services are being provided to them by either community organizations or our sanctuary state?
1: Um at, from what I know, um and I may not have the the latest information, but they um they have been they were met and received by some, you know, wonderful, amazing community-based organizations, social service organizations, and faith-based groups who stepped up um, and who do this um, and, and know how to how to do this resettlement work. And so immediately stepped up to provide shelter. I think that's the most immediate thing, some food and shelter. Um, and then um, I, I think they're trying to just stabilize the, the folks that have arrived. Um, as far as we know, they are still in, in California. Um, but I know that one one next step that will need to be addressed for, for these individuals is um, getting them connected to immigration legal services, um, attorneys or counsel to help them figure out what the next steps are in their, you know, process um, if they want to um, seek or claim asylum. Um, uh, my understanding is some of them have, you know, they were sent with their paperwork um, for court dates, some of them in cities as far away as Chicago. Um, and so they're definitely going to need legal assistance. It would be impossible for them to navigate all of this without attorneys providing one-on-one assistance on the particulars of their case, helping them figure out um, what they, what information they need to gather, what steps they need to take in order to um, make those court dates and um, um, put forth their case for asylum. That's not an easy thing to do. And um, unfortunately, you know, there's... Um, robust immigration legal services in in more robust legal services and available especially ones that can respond quickly have capacity and can do it for free right Um, given all the other work that everybody has, um, that's a little bit um, more readily available in larger cities like Los Angeles and the Bay Area. Um, And certainly that exists in in the Sacramento area too. But I know that that's um, been one concern I've heard from um, folks on the ground is making sure that there's someone that has capacity to take on all of these cases. Um, And so that's going to be something that's um, an important um, key need that has to be addressed. Um, in in addition to, obviously, the most immediate things, continued um, provision of of shelter, food, um, clothing, um, et cetera.
0: You're talking about the resettlement work that nonprofits and community-based organizations do for asylum seekers. I want to get back into that in just a minute. But before we go there, in terms of Ron DeSantis' political engine, flying people to other states, from the perspective of the California Immigrant Policy Center, what's the political message that we're getting here?
1: Um, so what what this politician is doing is is nothing short of political grandstanding it's cruel to do this with human lives, turn them into political footballs. He's trying to take shots at at California at um, at our governor and and really just trying to gear up for his bid for his presidential campaign. and unfortunately, we've seen Republicans have you know in many cases had success and traction. Um, by doing these types of stunts and, um, and scapegoating of immigrants, um, and, and, you know, presenting a false sort of, um, a threat or enemy in, in, in innocent immigrants and migrants. And so he's t- absolutely just trying to score political points to help him for his presidential run um, and doing it at the expense of real human lives. You know, it's a, like I said, a really cruel thing to take people, um, you know, put them on a plane to an uncertain destination when they've already had such a difficult journey here and have to navigate a whole new environment. Um, so, um, it's, it's, uh, it's cruel. Um, we absolutely denounce these types of actions and, um, you know, want to just stay focused on now that they're here, making sure that they have, um, the support that they need and that they're welcomed with, um, dignity, um, and get the assistance, humanitarian assistance that they need.
0: One more question about the political side, and then we'll go into this resettlement work. But Gavin Newsom has threatened kidnapping charges for the people involved in sending these asylum seekers to California. Is that also a political stunt and or is there a material benefit to that actually happening?
1: Um, I mean, from what I'm gathering, the legal experts seem to be saying at this time that they don't think there's um, potentially enough of a, a case on those grounds. Um, however, whatever whatever um, accountability mechanisms might be able to be brought here, I think are are you know appropriate. Um, I, I do think it's appropriate that our governor and our attorney general are calling for investigations into what happened, into whether these people were brought here without you know adequate consent or knowledge of where they were being brought, um, and that there's some form of accountability. We certainly support that. Um, but yes, I think I think there's a risk of you know turning this into more political football and political grandstanding if it con- if the continued message from the state of California and from our state leaders is only focused on Ron DeSantis and you know how to get back at him. Um, I think that that would be you know an unfortunate again continued um, misdirection of of really what's most important here. Um, I do think it's absolutely appropriate for a governor to call out you know that that these types of actions are. Not in in line with our values, not in line with California's values. I think I think saying those things is um, is you know appropriate and reasonable. But I think that to shift that, the focus and the shift, I think um, should should move to um, trying to figure out what California can do, not just for these sets of individuals who've arrived, but as a state. If we're if our if our governor's message continues to be that California is a counterpoint to these types of you know right wing Republican leaders, um, then then that we have to back that up with actual policy. And that applies to, like I said, not just immediate immediate humanitarian assistance for people that are newly arriving, but also the kinds of longer term policies and foundation that we create for immigrants in this state, um, regardless of their immigration status. And some of that policy work is, like I said, longer term. Um, It's more um, infrastructural and it's less, um, you know, just emergency and rapid response. So all those things need to happen in addition to or as a follow up to, you know, the comments and the shots being taken against um, uh, Ron DeSantis.
0: That's the voice of Sara Dar, Director of Health and Public Benefits Policy for the California Immigrant Policy Center. So... In order to show that California is a counterpoint to right-wing political approaches to immigration like you're talking about, let's talk about what California actually does. How are recent arrivals of asylum seekers and refugees treated here in California? And I guess I'm also wondering if you're able to kind of differentiate that experience from someone who's arriving in California versus, say, Texas or Florida.
1: Um, sure. I mean, I uh, you know, our organization um, doesn't actually work directly with with these individuals um, and take on these clients. We work more on the policy side. Um, but, but from what I do understand, there's much more support um, in terms of humanitarian assistance. As you can see, Texas and Florida, for example, have there have only been interested in just expelling these people and dumping them across state lines. Um, there is, you know, to the credit of our. our our governor and our state administration, um, there is actually some level of state support for these CBOs, community-based organizations and nonprofits that provide that assistance. Um, As you know, there are organizations that do receive um, some federal um, uh, funding, um, if they're federal refugee resettlement organizations, um, but that's a little different than organizations responding to asylum seekers who may not have already had an application or a case in process who've arrived um, at one of our ports of entry, seeking safety and um, and humanitarian assistance and seeking asylum. Um, and so, what happens in California is, like I said, there are these um, wonderful organizations on the ground, really working with so little to do so so much for these individuals. Whether it's at the southern border um, or whether it's in situations like these, where people are just you know put on the plane and and showing up here, um, it's getting them shelter, it's getting them food and resources, it's trying to figure out if there's any type of um, Work that they might be able to do if they can get a work permit, um, and of course, again, like I said, the most important and it's reuniting them with their family members. That's another thing that obviously the gov, um, you know, Ron DeSantis and and Texas were not interested in doing is trying to get these people closer to where would actually be a helpful place for them to be if they some of them may have a family or some kind of connection in in the United States, and obviously that'd be the best place for them to be. Um, and also, like I said. The key thing um, in the long run um, that's going to really determine their fate is getting processed and being able to get that asylum case going and resolved as quickly as possible. We have a pretty much a crisis on that front as the backlogs are many many years at this point in some cases. So um, that's something that obviously has to be addressed, and it's not you know up to California. Um, there's support California California can provide, um, including funding for immigration legal services, which we do provide. And, you know, it'd be great to see that expanded further, um, given that, you know, this type of migration is, the trends are only pointing to Continue, uh, continued rise in climate-induced migration and economic stability all across the world. So we're only expecting to see more and more and continued uh, migration. And so I think th- the time is now to ex- continue to expand those immigration legal services, make sure people have assistance to counsel, without which they're not going to be able to navigate the, the, the very confusing process.
0: And let's put this in the context of some recent changes to U.S. asylum policy. Title 42 ended just about a month ago. It was a holdover from the Trump administrative administration that used the COVID pandemic to justify delaying asylum seekers from coming into the U.S. Can you help us understand what Title 42 did and also what the impact has been since it ended just about a month ago?
1: Sure. Um, I think, you know, some of the longer term impacts are going to continue to unfold, you um, and, and are still emerging. Um, but um, it, in a nutshell, um, it's a policy that um, was instituted underneath the Trump administration. Um, and it, in a nutshell, was a way to quickly expel migrants from the United States. Um, and it was lifted uh, very recently um, by the Biden administration. And the, the effect is that, you know, obviously now, um, With some of those restrictions lifted, people who have been just waiting in in purgatory, essentially in in border towns in Mexico, um, in really risky situations, I should say, for many of them subjected to, you know, human rights abuses, including kidnapping and other attacks, um, you know, really taking really huge risks um, to to wait their turn to try to be able to, again, reach a port of entry and seek asylum in the United States. Um, And so... We are for there was a moment um, in recent weeks where there was um, there were a lot of people um, who were included in that group who after the uh, Title 42 was lifted um, did come um, to try to you know to, to some of the ports of entry on the southern border in San Diego and elsewhere. Um, and we actually did hear, unfortunately, that um, Border Patrol did not handle it well. Um, the ideal situation is that people are processed as quickly as possible and that they're allowed to go and, you know, live in the community um, and just be safe, honestly, which is what these people want, just be safe um, and have some stability and have shelter and, as, while they're waiting for their cases to be processed. Um, but um, we heard um, from some of our partner organizations at the southern border that, um, in the immediate aftermath of Title Forty Two being lifted, um, that wasn't happening. Um, that Border Patrol was kind of just keeping people um in in different places, you know, weren't equipped to, to process everybody um, and should not have been detaining them, but in effect were detaining them because they were, again, held in, in like, in one case, la- between layers of the border wall, there's multiple, like, fences or multiple layers of, like, um, barriers. And in some cases, we heard about people for several days on end just sitting, families, children sitting in between those layers of fences with, with no assistance whatsoever. We had community groups showing up, um, to, to provide food and, um, you know, resources. Um, we heard that maybe they were given like one water bottle and one granola bar a day, um, which is obviously not sufficient. Um, so really horrifying conditions. Um, and then that was uh, after a few days, um, they were all moved and, you know, I'm not sure that advocates um, in the area have been able to ascertain where all of them were moved to, where CBP took them. Um, hopefully, they've been relocated to safer places or, or places where they have family or other connections. Uh, but it's 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 um, you know there's there's a the potential for everything to really be a mess if um, if we're not able to figure out um, more humane and and quicker and easier ways to um, like process and um, you know, get these asylum seekers uh, into a a stable um, situation as quickly as possible.
0: Thank you, Sarah. We're running out of time. I'm going to ask one more question before I have to wrap us up. And you're just talking about we need to find more humane and quicker ways to support and deal with uh, asylum seekers coming across the border. Your organization is the California Immigrant Policy Center. What is CIPC working on, um, either at the state level or as part of longer-term advocacy right now to to support more humane and quicker ways for those folks.
1: Absolutely, I mean one big one is like I said, um, uh, assistance to the CBOs that are doing the humanitarian assistance and the immigration legal services. We have to we do have to thank the governor for already. Um, uh, allocating support for both of those things. Um, but we're hearing all the time from the groups on the ground that, you know, it's it's just not enough and needed so much. So expanding that and, um, and making it also flexible, making the funding flexible so that it can be used as needed, depending on the situation and what it calls for. Um, and then in terms of more longer term policies, we have been working with our broad-based coalition partners across the state for many years on inclusive policies that um, benefit immigrants, n- whether they just newly arrived or have been here for a long time, um, that include things like um, equitable access to health care, food and nutrition, safety net programs like unemployment insurance for workers, um, regardless of immigration status. The key point here uh, is that our immigration system at the federal level, our immigration policy has been in need of overhaul for decades. And Congress has tried and failed so many times. And in the meanwhile, while we're waiting, while people who in some cases have been here for decades without any pathway or opportunity to apply for status, um, there's a lot that states can do. There's a lot that California has done to actually make their lives more livable um, and and fair um, and, and to, for immigrants, communities to be able to thrive, even while they're, you know, Waiting for a, a solution on, on the immigration status piece, but until they can get that piece of paper in their hand that c- confers that status or allows them a pathway to even apply, um, we can give that we can give people access to the basic social safety net that the rest of us rely on. You know, during the pandemic, we saw um, so many undocumented workers be laid off or have their hours cut, and unlike everybody else in the state, who when they lost their job due to COVID, they were able to apply for unemployment insurance that helped state help their household stay afloat these undocumented workers didn't have access to that, even though by every other measure, they're just the same as everyone else. They're working, they're contributing to our economy, they're members of our society, they're a rich part of our social fabric. So that's part of CIPC's vision is that, you know, Immigration status um, does not need to be a determinant of whether people can live, contribute, and be treated fairly in the state. And we've made progress on those things. We've shown that, that, that that model and that idea actually works. And so we look forward to continuing to making progress on that and being a model for the rest of the country, hopefully.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. And good luck on your work. I've got to wrap it up there, Sarah. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much.
2: You've been listening to Law & Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law & Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and dis that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.